Hello, Stephen. Hello, Stephen. How are you doing? Well, you know, as you can hear, I've, I've got a bit of a froggy throat. I don't know what's, I, it's not COVID. I don't want everyone to know it's not COVID. But, but these days, if you have anything like that, people kind of like shy away from you. Oh, I know. I've been um, in like a dr- shopper's drug mart and I just got a slight cough. I, I walked through the, uh, you know, the chemical alley that they call the cosmetic section. <laughs> yes. And I took a breathe in of something that bothered me and I, I gave a couple of coughs and you should see the head swivel <laughs> and look at you. It's like I'm coughing. In, I'm wearing a mask, coughing into my elbow, but they still look at look at me like I'm typhoid Mary. Well, you should go to a trucker convoy. No one would look at you twice. Oh, yeah, I, I don't think I would fit in at a trucker convoy. I think they'd look at me twice. <laughs> you, you don't you don't look, you know, with all due respect, too much like a trucker. Well, I don't have a beard. Even a trucker wannabe. I don't have a beard and I don't have a baseball hat with a mesh back. <laughs> So and, and you speak you speak in complete sentences. Yes, yes, and I understand how our government works. So <laughs> uh, well, you know, you're, I'm, you're right for sure. Yeah, I'm disqualified. Um, last week when we did our show, did you think that this week we would be talking about the resistance continuing in Kiev? Um, that the Russians wouldn't have rolled in already and taken over Ukraine? No, I, I you know the the. the the slowness that Russia has been been, you know, been been getting into deeper into Ukraine and the the resistance that they're 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 facing from from basically the civilian population has been been you know, I think surprised everyone, especially Putin, and it's starting to show too because you know he's you know he's starting to he's frustrated and you know a frustrated Putin is not a good thing because you know he's deliberately targeting civilians now and civilian targets. You know, shooting women and children, blowing up uh, civilian cars, uh, shooting at journalists. Uh, you know, you can tell that this is not going according to plan. No, uh, he appears to have not prepared a plan B or plan C when rolling in there. He was just so convinced of his military superiority that he thought it would be it would be an after an afternoon's exercise. And when the and I guess he thought that uh, Ukrainians were some kind of cowed populace that would just accept uh, their Russian overlords, didn't expect the level of the passion of Ukrainian independence and anti-Russian sentiment. Um, And he doesn't have an exit. He has no exit plan at this point in time. That's why he's continuing. And he's become more barbaric and breaking more, uh, you know, making, creating more war crimes is that he doesn't have an exit plan. He did not prepare for the contingency that he would get his ass handed to him. No. And, you know, and it's a repeat of, you know, First World War, Second World War, Russian tactics is just throw people at it, throw people at it and just waves and waves of whatever he can and try to overwhelm them with sheer numbers. But like you said, the the, you know, the Ukrainian resistance is so strong, uh, you know, and they're getting, you know, they're not getting an awful lot of support from the West. I mean, I know Canada sent them some rocket launchers. And we said uh, last week that, uh, you know, finally, Germany, which has been studiously not wanting to get involved in military actions, especially one that involves Russia, um, you know, they finally said, we're going to send not just helmets and bandages, but we're going to set, send you stuff that goes boom to the Ukrainians fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, 
the Russians have really bogged themselves down in in guerrilla warfare. Now, unfortunately, the only the only solution that the Russians have to guerrilla warfare is to flatten villages, flatten towns, uh, punishing campaigns against against civilian populations. But that gets their back up. I mean, they they are less likely to capitulate at this point than than they were at any other point because you know they're going to want to give the Russians a bloody nose back at whatever cost. Uh, and, uh, you know, I don't know that Canadians would have the resolve that the Ukrainians have in the same situation. I'd like to think that we do. The fact is that we're never tested. Um, you know, here in Fortress North America, our neighbors are Mexico and the United States. Mexico can't project force into Canada. Um, the United States so far hasn't. Um, uh, we'll have to see what the future holds when resources start to uh, dry up. But we have never been tested with a threat on our border um, and had to defend our sovereignty. So uh, not, not since the not since the, the Fenian raids and the War of 1812. And, you know, there are not a lot of veterans of either of those uh, <laughs> actions still around. I'd like but, you to know, find Ukrainians, one. Yeah. You know, Ukrainians, you know, depending on where you are in Ukraine, I mean, they... You know they have fought. Uh, you know they, they've been fighting a, a border war for ages, um, and you know they live in the shadow of 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 Russia, and so they're a more armed society, uh, and used to. You know I think the uh, you know before uh, the Russia invasion of Ukraine, there were all the incursions and the Russian-backed uh, separatists in the uh, in the eastern provinces, and about fourteen thousand people died you know, since 2014 in, the, in that conflict. So they've had that on their doorstep for a while. And I think, you know, we live next to the United States, which is, you know, uncomfortable sometimes. And we just hope they don't notice us too much. But, you know, there's really not a threat um, that, that, is, that is, you know, always in your face from the United States, you know, certainly not militarily. Whereas Ukraine, you know, when you share a border with uh, with Belarus, which is basically a Russian satellite, and and Russia itself, and having been you know within living memory part of Russia, I've, you know you're ready for stuff, and uh, you know they've uh, you know it, it's it's really sad that you know one of Trump's lasting legacies was that he he shortchanged uh, military aid to Ukraine. Um, you know they were supporting it, and you know. Trump wanted to have a quid pro quo to get dirt on Biden's son and withheld, I think it was like $400 million of military aid to, uh, to Ukraine because, you know, he was unhappy with uh, the way uh, their president was not, uh, you know, helping him win the election at home. But uh, they've, you know, they're a, they're a small scrappy population. You know, they're what, 40, 45 million people, which is, you know, a little bit bigger than Canada is. Um, but you know, it's when you've got a neighbor like that, you've got to you got to be you know ready for the worst. Yeah, the wolf's at the door. Um, you know, the thing is that I don't see a scenario where Putin can win. Like there's, this is a lose lose situation. If he plows in and takes over Ukraine, it's it, the world opinion is going to be further against him. He's the sanctions are going to continue to cripple his country. Um, there's no winning. And if he retreats, that's obviously not a win either. So he's got himself into a, into a war. You know, I mentioned last week about uh, Vietnam and say, well, this isn't, this isn't Russia's Vietnam. But in some respects, 
um, they're in a war they can't win or because they're what are the victory conditions? Because taking over Ukraine, first of all, they'd have a hell of a time holding it with all the insurgent movements that would be going on. And they're going to have a hard time funding uh, a war machine when their economy is being brought to a standstill. So, I mean, do you see a, a victory condition here? No, I mean, you, know, you look at the various scenarios. So they, they conquer Ukraine and install a puppet government, uh, which nobody in Ukraine is going to support. Um, so it ends up sort of being like Afghanistan, where you control Kabul and the government, but you don't control any of the outlying areas, any of the villages, because to occupy Ukraine um, requires, will require a ton of, uh, of resources that, like you say, Russia just doesn't have at this point. And, you know, it's going to be a hostile population. Um, and, you know, at every turn, you know, it, it's going to be... Uh, it, it's going to be very, very tough to maintain control over it. So what are your other options? Well, you withdraw. Well, you know, I'm not sure Putin can withdraw. I mean, I don't think his psychology allows him to, to withdraw because that is a defeat. Um, you know, I, I thought at the beginning of saying they were going to grab those two uh, so-called breakaway states, occupy them, redraw the eastern border of Ukraine and call it a day. And I think the West would go, okay, well, at least it wasn't a full-scale war. But having gone right into Ukraine proper now, and with the, you know, the, like you say, the war crimes, the crimes, you know, waging, you know, waging aggressive war, targeting civilian targets, I mean, the, the list goes on. Uh, to withdraw now, Putin can't claim any kind of victory, even if he withdraws just to those two states, uh, those breakaway provinces. Um, what was it all for? And, you know, there's growing dissent from what we can understand from the outside at home, too. People are starting to look at Putin. The oligarchs are going like, hey, they're stealing my yacht. Um, I didn't sign up for this. Get us out of this thing. This is a stupid war. And the military itself doesn't like this war. They've, uh, you know, they've been embarrassed. They're losing resources. You know, they're losing resources to grandmas with an RPG. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's embarrassing for the, you know, the, the much vaunted Russian military machine. So I don't, I don't see how they get out of this with their prestige intact. No. And that's dangerous because Putin is fighting for his life, for his political life, which is ultimately in Russia, your life. Yes. Um, and because, you know, the oligarchs and the other apparatchiks at the, uh, at the Kremlin, uh, it's like a pack of wild dogs. Once the leader has, uh, shows a weakness or has an injury, the other dogs tear it apart. And there's a new dog, a new top dog. Um, the oligarchs are, you know, if, if Putin acknowledges weakness by withdrawing, he's screwed. If he stays there, and uh, prosecutes this war further, and the economy continues to have unprecedented damage done to it, he loses. And I, in either case, somebody has got a, it, I, I envision a situation where a plan is made to, to take him out. Yeah. Um, I don't know how ensconced, I mean, sure, he's got levels of security to protect him. Mind you, so did uh, Indira Gandhi. Um, when she was taken out by her guards. Um, so one, you know, and Russia's a famous place for shifting allegiances, depending on where, which way the power is blowing. So he's really stepped in it. 
And I think that he's he's becoming unhinged um, if he hasn't become unhinged already, because this is somebody who is one of the world's richest men, one of the world's most powerful men, could snap his fingers and basically get anything, including people killed. Um, he wanted for nothing. And all of a sudden, you know, he wanted Ukraine and they're telling him no. And that's like tell a two year old. No, it's they're going to throw a temper tantrum and him being cornered like this. He is not going to allow people to see him as weak. He will. He would rather go down fighting than be seen as weak. Yeah. And that's why NATO will not step foot on Ukraine, because that gives him the next level of 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 authority, um, because now it's a war against the world. It's not just a war against Ukrainian peasants with 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 rifles. And, you know, you know, if you want to talk about a blaze of glory, you know, I don't think anyone in their right mind wants European war again, um, especially, you know, with, with, with nuclear weapons. We, you know, we've had proxy wars that have been, been you know, tough enough in the world where, you know, I'm, I'm of an age that, uh, you, you know, I, I, was, I, was, I was just a baby when the Cuban Missile Crisis happened. But, you know, there were, there were toe-to-toe things, you know, the Vietnam War was, was one of those. Um, you know, there've been smaller skirmishes, uh, you know, in, in, you know, Central America and Africa and all the rest where, you know, proxies of, of then the Soviet Union and, and, and the West, you know, especially the United States, you know, stood toe to toe and it could have got hot <clears throat> at any point, but, you know, no one ever thought there'd be another land war in Europe, uh, just because it, it's so terrible and, and, and you'd have to be incredibly crazy to do that. But as you say, Putin is becoming increasingly unhinged and he's getting fewer and fewer options and desperate people do desperate things. So I think it's really smart of NATO to stay out. But unfortunately, you know, it's at the sacrifice of of the courageous people of Ukraine. Well, and, you know, the thing is that uh, munitions and weapons have become much more powerful since World War II or since Korea. And so even a sub nuclear response. Uh, could be, you know, there, there's more Russia could throw at this that they haven't thrown yet. Uh, and it, it, they could just scorch the earth uh, out of spite. Now, I understand that there's Russian soldiers there who are, who are defecting, who are quitting. Yeah, um, you know, they're saying we didn't sign up for this. This is Yeah. Well, they were told they were going in for a training exercise, the number of them. Yeah. They didn't or, know they're going to be shooting at people. Yeah. And, and some of them believe that they'd be, you know, where have we heard this before? Greeted as, as liberators and heroes yeah. because they believe the, you know, the, the Russian propaganda. Now, NATO has given the okay for uh, warplanes to be sent uh, over to Ukraine. Yeah. How does this is. This is NATO involving itself by providing that kind of material. Like that's a step up. Yeah, it's War a little planes? bit. It's a little bit pregnant, <clears throat> you know. But they have been, you know, they have been supplying Ukraine with, um, you know, with munitions. With uh, you know, some of the most effective ones are uh, are anti aircraft uh, missiles, shoulder shoulder missiles. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, not not whole missile systems, but you know, the kind of stuff the Taliban was bringing down, you know, Russian helicopters with in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know more more recently, what you know various other um, Afghanistan and and in Syria and places like that, you know th- those were incredibly effective weapons that neutralize a lot of air power. And there's there was a video just yesterday of of them in Ukraine bringing down a, a Russian attack helicopter with one. So you know those you know they're small, they're 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 
reasonably easy to to use and uh, so you know that's been important drones have been incredibly important um and again drones can be flown in from you know delivered small and can take out armored columns and strategic targets um you know not just collecting you know these are armored drones but aircraft you know it made me think of world war ii where a lot of poles escaped poland after the german uh, invasion occupation and they formed a uh, you know a, a free polish air force uh, which was a unit of the raf to, you know to great effect they were you know they were part of the battle of britain and all kinds of other engagements uh, later in the war and part of the you know the liberation of europe but this is a little different because at that time you know germany and britain were at war and there wasn't anything to lose um, so having sort of a foreign legion that you're arming of your own pe you know, of of the native people and giving them the weapons as part of a you know they're equating it to lend lease where america wasn't in the war but was giving britain all the materials that it needed to mm -hmm. fight uh, hitler mm -hmm. um i'm not i think that kind of distinction is a kind of fine one and i'd be really hesitant to hand putin an, an excuse to cross any of the other european borders because then then it's you know all bets are off how bad do you think it is for the average russian in russia right now and russian businesses i mean can can these people can they feed themselves they don't have where are they gonna i mean i guess if their money is in a russian bank they can still access the money from the russian bank but uh a lot there's a lot of businesses that rely on international international money transfers or international organizations certainly being cut off from swift um being uh, cut off from visa and mastercard now is going to be huge you know, apple pay and you know all those little conveniences you know interact and you know all those sorts of things i mean the banking system is so international i remember being in a an airport in china a place called chengdu which is like the fourth largest airport in the world but no one's ever heard of it um there's it's where the pandas are and mm -hmm. for some reason my air my return airplane ticket was no good and they made me buy a new one but uh, they required me to pay it in cash. Uh, they wouldn't take visa. They wouldn't take anything. I'm like, cash, where am I going to get enough cash to buy an airplane ticket? Yeah. And they said, well, well, you know, through, through a lot of miming, because no one really spoke a lot of English either. And I yeah. don't speak any Chinese. They pointed me to, to some ATMs. I'm like, I got a bank of, I, I think at that time it was like a Royal Bank um, um, Interact card. Surely it's not going to work here. And I plugged it into the machine. A lot of Chinese characters came up. I have no idea what I'm pushing because there's no prompts. I mean, yeah. the prompts are like, you know, four arrows and Chinese characters. I'm like, I'm just going to pick the first one on every screen and see what happens. Yeah. And amazingly enough, money started coming out of the machine. So that's how connected, you know, the world is. So if you cut yourself off from that, you just take that kind of stuff now, you know, for granted as, as, as financial magic. To be cut off from that, I think, really is going to hurt the Russian people, not just the oligarchs, not just the businesses, you know, that, that and the devaluation of the ruble, because they still very much depend on hard currency. You know, American dollars are, is the second, um, it's the most popular currency in Russia still. Um, and it's the second most used one there. So once they're gone, they're gone. And, you know, as soon, you know, you can't take it to the bank because the bank's going to take it and issue you back rubles the way they did under the old Soviet system or in, you know, in places like Cuba um, and make you use the local currency. So this is really starting to inconvenience, um, you know, Russians in terms of 
their con connectivity and their financial livelihood. A lot of Russians, I was surprised to learn, actually have um, Western mortgages. Their, their mortgages really? for their houses aren't with Russian banks. They're with foreign banks. And all of a sudden, uh, they got problems. Wow. Uh, uh, that stuns me. Uh, interesting. Uh, so at which point does this jump from discomfort for the Russian people into something completely untenable and worse than discomfort? Yeah, I, I don't think it has very, you know, a lot of Russia, you know, once you get away from the oligarchs, a lot of their their business, their finances are are, are pretty marginal. Um, I think they are not very far away from poverty. Uh, they don't have big cushions. They don't have a big middle class. You know, they, they don't have a lot of personal savings. Um, you know, I think this bites sooner rather than later, and the pressure starts. You know, starts coming, and they're being denied all kinds. You know, they're being denied. You know, you and I go like, well, they're being denied Facebook or Twitter or. Um, they've been cut off from Netflix. They've been cut off from, you know, just a lot of the things you take for granted in the sort of their, their portal to, to the rest of the world, you know, entertainment, you see all of the big studios are, are, you know, you know, it's symbolic more than anything else, you know, you know, well, I can't see Batman. It's like, well, okay. So you can't see Batman. Um, but that, when, by the way, is a tragedy. I saw the movie yesterday. I, I, saw, it's I, saw, I, I saw your but, review yeah. online. You, you're, you're a big fan. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, but it, it's all these little things that add up at the end of the day where your life just becomes miserable uh, because you can't do anything. You can't go anywhere. You can't buy anything. Your money in the bank is worthless. You can't trip and go on a trip anywhere um, to, for those who do that kind of stuff. And you're really back to the 19th century Russia, which wasn't that great. No, I mean... <sighs> Russia has been a miserable place to live for centuries. It's since the the, uh, the fall of the Soviet Union, I think that there's been greater opportunity. I'm not a an expert in Russia, uh, but I think people have had you know greater opportunity. Obviously, the oligarchs uh, had greater opportunity, but this is this could set them back quite a ways. And I wonder, you know, that they all the Soviet Union fell largely because um, they loosened enough restrictions that the Russian people were emboldened. To, they, they wanted more. You can't give somebody a little bit of freedom. They wanted more. And that hastened the crumbling of the Soviet Union. It was, you know, importing Dynasty, the TV show, into uh, the Soviet Union uh, was seen as culturally a major thing. And when, when uh, Russian people moved to Canada, um, a lot of them um, migrated to uh, the, the Bathurst and Steeles in Toronto. Yes. And I lived, I grew up and lived not far from there. And you would find practically every business was named Dynasty. Dynasty <laughs> Real Estate, Dynasty <laughs> Haircuts, or, or, you know, Salon, Dynasty Bakery. Um, so giving, loosening, up, loosening up things and making people less miserable is more likely to foment um, an overthrow or a dissolution of the present system. But when people are miserable and they don't have, they don't have the time to think about organizing or doing anything because they're, they're just trying to put food on the table somehow, do you think that the Russian people have the power to uh, force Putin to do anything? 
I don't know because I mean there there aren't any of the usual levers of government that 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 we have you know like like a, like a vote um, you know there's a vote but you know it always is always like ninety seven percent in favor of Putin so it's not really a vote at all I mean it's re- you know the thing to remember you know the fall of the Soviet Union wasn't military it wasn't political particularly it was all economic because they had been bled dry by the invasion of Afghanistan which was a disastrous costly war which had all the attendant stuff uh, you know it, it it provoked all kinds of sanctions from the west as well uh, you know they're banned now banned from the olympics is that you know was one of the things but mm-hmm. there's all kinds of other stuff there's all kinds of economic sanctions that were put on them that really hurt the country and you know they also saw their 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 18 year old um sons coming back from Afghanistan, missing an arm, missing a leg, addicted, addicted to drugs. I mean, it was very much like, like, uh, like Vietnam that way, or, or, you know, if you go to the United States, you know, there are tons and tons of 20 something year old men walking around with, with no legs, no arm, um, you know, in wheelchairs, and they're all victims of, of the various Middle Eastern American wars. Um, it, it was that that crippled the communist system because they just couldn't support themselves anymore. The people were going back to being hungry and deprived and had no money and communism fell. If you go back to that again, the pressures on Putin are there, but I don't, you know, popular uprisings, you know, I don't put a lot of stock in those, but, you know, of the oligarchs, I mean, there's a, there are some key oligarchs who keep him in power. I mean, they shelter his money. And uh, there's a, there's a, um, an anti-corruption campaigner by the name of Alexei uh, Navalny, who, uh, who has basically said, here are, the three, uh, here are the 35 oligarchs who keep Putin in power. Um, and if you hurt these guys, Putin will not be in power anymore. He will disappear. And Putin is a survivor. I say he was the station chief for the KGB in East uh, East Berlin. You know, not exactly a cushy job. Um, you know, head of the FSB. This guy is a survivor uh, and ruthless, and and has played the West for the last uh, boy since two thousand and eight. Um, you know, he's been waging wars. He's been assassinating people around the world. I mean, he has been given a free hand and embraced by people like Trump and played footsie with rich people all over the world. Uh, you know, in London, the oligarchs own tons and tons of incredibly expensive downtown London real estate and are part of society. Um, when those people feel the heat, much more so than, than, than the, the workers and the peasants and the middle class, that's when you're going to get a regime change in, in Russia. Do you think it will come uh, with a bullet? Or what other ways could it be affected? I mean, probably be behind the scenes. We'd never know no, really what the strings were. Know. I mean, yeah. either you know, Putin has a heart attack, um, and uh, you know, and there's uh, you know a week of mourning, or a bad or, case of polonium. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A little polonium in his in his tea, uh, or uh, you know, he he decides to to retire. Um, and you know goes to his dasha somewhere on in near near sochi and uh, on the black sea and and enjoys his you know reputed you know, it's, is it 40 400 billion dollars something like that i think it's 400 billion dollars how can how can it that's obscene yeah. <laughs> you know, that's so and, obscene. and i think even then 
the West is not going to remove the sanctions of me. I think there'd be a, a deal that if he disappeared, some of the sanctions would be loosened. But considering what they've done in Ukraine, I can't see the West. They're going to be on a timeout for five, 10, if Putin stays, 25 years before there's any normalization of relationships. And I think that's what the oligarchs and Putin are starting to understand, that that the Western reaction was one of their big miscalculations. You know, first one, how fast can we have this blitzkrieg through uh, through Ukraine? So it's a fait accompli, we're sitting there and the world's got to get used to the new normal. And then they also you know, said, well, the West, you know, the West is going to you know, put a couple of people on the list and you know, do, do a couple of little things around the edges instead of this big hammer they've put down, which is, nope, everything you've got, we're coming after and we're cutting you off from everything. Good luck trading with China, North Korea, and, you know, there was one other. Syria. And, and Syria. So, you know, like, have your holidays in Syria from now on. Park your big yacht there. Um, the uh, I think they really grossly miscalculated the Western response. I think they didn't miscalculate Western resolve. I mean, uh, Putin loved Trump because Trump uh, was the churn in the punch bowl in the West. He was weakening the NATO alliance uh, and, and traditional alliances in the West. So, of course, Trump, uh, Putin loved him. And one of the things that's odd to me, and I, I, I'm still processing this, is members of the who identify as Republicans and conservatives supporting Putin, like Trump saying that the invasion was brilliant. Uh, you know, anybody who has any doubts as to whether Trump was compromised by Putin or not, you just look at his reaction to Putin's invasion, whether I don't know if Putin bribed him, threatened him um, or or what incentive was used or if Trump is just a worship, uh, you know, a mindless worshiper of authoritarians. But it's very clear that Trump is in the thrall of Putin. And because Trump's in the thrall of Putin, people in the thrall of Trump are supporters of, of Russia and spreading online the Russian lies about how this is nato's fault yeah and the thing about you know the american the republicans the american right and trump is that their values mirror more closely those of russia than american democracy i mean the envious system with no opposition the tame and uncritical press you know they're anti-lgbtq they 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 love money they love they want the rule of oligarchs they want unrestrained wealth they want a small government i mean putin doesn't want a big government he wants the government to be him and a big secret police to enforce his, 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 his will. But they don't believe in, in, in big government. And you know they, they believe in a government by strongmen, unfettered by oversight or any kind of legal restraint. I mean, that is the Republican dream. Um, they don't care about minorities. They don't care about justice. Everything is just a tool to the end of making the top people rich and pandering to the, you know, the prejudices of the, of the minority. And that's why, like I say, the Republicans are love the Russians because they have more in common with them than they do with, you know, the original founders of of, of the United States. Well, I mean, Russians are uh, American oligarch wish fulfillment. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. You know, the big yachts and the lavish lifestyle. I mean, it's it's Trump writ large. It's the golden toilets and the the big towers and the. You know, the, you know the the gilded penthouses you know all all through uh, you know the city of New York I mean I, you know half of the penthouses in the city of New York are, are owned by Russian oligarchs um, and and Trump and the Republicans all aspire to that yeah so if you uh, 
want to see a picture of what um, the Trumpers and you know the the high end Trumpers want to see in America. Look at Russia, a uh, population that is um, cowed and goes about its business with its eyes averted from from looking up, and uh, a number of very rich people ruling the country, unfettered by any public opinion. Uh, that's what that's what these people would love, and that's why these these very rich people are supporting Trump because he's the blunt instrument that can get them that type of America, the America they want. And then, you know, the the less uh, less well off who support him are just useful idiots. They you know the, the, they just feel they're full of grievances. They feel that everyone's getting ahead except them, and somebody's got to be for blame to blame because it isn't them and Trump tells them who to blame. And so now they feel good that it wasn't their fault. They have a focus for their hatred. Um, they're beyond reach, a lot of them. Yeah. Uh, and it's, a, it's frightening because it, it is not impossible that the United States turns into a version of, of Russia. Yeah, and, and <clears throat> between the polarization and, you know, the, the, you know Putin has... has has harnessed the power of the uh, the Russian Orthodox Church as well. I mean, the Russian Orthodox Church came out with a full-throated in, in embracing of Putin's, uh, Putin's invasion of Ukraine. Uh, you know, they said it, it's it's a religious war of God, even though like the Ukrainians are Ukrainian Orthodox, yeah. you know, a, a different a different brand, but basically they're an Eastern Orthodox Christian religion. Um, so there's that 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 merging of, of church and state uh that really cozy relationship where they support each other that that even though trump is a terrible christian if if one at all you know he has the support of the christian right and that nationalism as well because there's that kind of i mean there's there's being patriotic and, and thinking your country is great but there's also that kind of ugly nationalism that you know the the american right has and that russian nationalists have too i mean that pan-russian belief that they've got a divine mission in the world and that uh, you know that, that god smiles on their country more than it smiles on anybody else and anyone who's against you is is, is you know is the antichrist um, there's so many similarities between like i say the, the trump and the republicans and and the the, the, the russians under putin that you know, of course they're fellow travelers i mean of course you know of course they find and you know god help us if trump had got a second term because like you said he was talking about withdrawing from nato he was talking about withdrawing from the united nations he was talking about uh, you know weakening you know all kind you know he, he did nothing but piss off his western allies his european allies um uh, whether it was through trade or through militarily uh complaining about uh, you know how little they uh, they they contribute to military budgets and all the rest and if trump had been in with his coziness with with russia um putin would have had a free hand in in all of this um you know with with, with trump yeah, the response would probably be isolationist and there'd be no uh, no sanctions i mean and with the, if the united states didn't impose sanctions on russia then there wouldn't be any teeth to it at all yeah, the U.S. is the biggest bite. And I mean, the U.S. was isolationist for a huge part of its history. Uh, it, it was isolationist, then participated in World War I, then went back to being isolationist. And then when, they, when World War II happened, they, they were the post-war order. Uh, 
Um, so could the U.S. be dragged back into isolationism? Sure. Uh, all it takes is another term for Trump. And how anybody can't see that he is not serving American interests. Uh, it's, it's staggering to me when you are supporting a Russian. I mean, Ronald Reagan is spinning in his grave. Um, this is not the Republican Party anymore. It's the National Party or the Nationalist Party. The, it, they, they don't adhere to any real Republican tenets like they used to. Um, I, in fact, I'm struggling to think of a, Republic, a traditional Republican tenet um, or, or pillar that they adhered to during the Trump years because they abandoned them um, out of just pure worship of Trump and what he stood for and, and you know, his, his soothing of their grievances. So, uh, I, I, see, I don't think that if, also, God forbid, if there's a Ron DeSantis presidency, I don't see him as somebody who's going to uh, pull out of NATO and so on. Um, this is strictly a reckless Trump thing. And it's scary that we were, that it is still possible that he could return. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, people who are living in Finland or in Estonia or Latvia or Lithuania or, you know, if, you know, if, uh, if Ukraine falls, then, you know, Romania and, and uh, you know, even Poland is, is pretty, uh, you know, pretty nervous these days. I mean, all of those border states that were part of the old Eastern Bloc, uh, you know, without the United States backing, uh, it's a very, very, you know, it emboldens Russia to continue its territorial ambitions in uh, recreating the old Soviet Union. Yeah, Trump doesn't, Trump has enmity towards our allies in the West. Uh, there's no sense of allyship, but he strangely captivated by, by Putin. Um, I wonder whether we'll ever know if there's any kind of quid pro quo going on that's just not been come to light yet, or if he's just a mental midget who worships authoritarians. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think there's a lot of economic interests there. I mean, there's been ties between uh, Trump and his in oligarchs and Russian money and, uh, uh, to, you know, to, to maintain his lifestyle and his, his, his increasingly poor investments. Uh, you know, one of the questions is, is uh, you know, the uh, sanctions on Russian banks may actually be incredibly hurtful to Trump personally, because no one else in the world is giving him money. And he was able to go to Putin and the oligarchs and get money for his various shell games. And with that cut off, you know, he may be looking at bankruptcy all over again. So there is a real, there's a real personal interest, I think, uh, in, in the finances tied to Trump, uh, right. That, that goes straight through Moscow. Well, uh, uh, we'll have to see if next week we're still talking about the resistance of Kiev. Um, and see what has changed on the ground and uh, how this situation progresses. It's and if uh, if Putin were to be behind the death of Zelensky, that would that's that's kicking that's shooting Lassie. You know that um, he has become so beloved. There will be no redemption for no. Putin <clears throat> if he causes the death of uh, Zelensky. Um, I suspect that he would probably let him run away because he knows the trouble that he'd have. Yeah. Well, he's already sent three, uh, three assassination squads against him that we know of. 
So, you know, clearly, you know, he considers Zelensky to be a, you know, a major thorn in his side and he's prepared to live with the consequences of, uh, of, of him getting killed in this conflict. Um, it's, uh, I, you know, and I don't know, and, and on a personal note, you know, my, uh, my great grandfather um, came from Lviv. Um, he was an Austrian immigrant that was an Austrian province. It was called Lemberg back then. And this whole area, I'm watching all these names of villages and I did a genealogy project, you know, as part of my COVID uh, um, exercise. And I'm recognizing all these names where I've got ancestors buried um, where they're now fighting. So, you know, thank you to Grandpa Franz who, uh, who decided to leave in 1900 and come to Canada because we missed, you know, the First World War, the Second World War, communism, and now this. Uh, otherwise, you know, I'd, I'd be, I'd be uh, shouldering some kind of an RPG myself. Well, this would be a very different podcast. Yeah, um, All right. He is Stephen Lawtons, and he can be found on Twitter at Stephen Lawtons, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-L-A-U-T-E-N-S. Uh, I'm Stephen Kersner. My work can be found at newmusicnation.ca. Uh, Stephen, thank you. Well, we're looking, looking forward you know, to next week, I guess, looking forward. <laughs> I guess. What choice do we have? Yeah. Um, and uh, he is Stephen Lawton's. I'm Stephen Kersner, and this has been Stephen and Stephen. Stephen.